And if you're going to go with Miss Tracy, she's right at the back. Or if you head back to your seat. Come on. You're good. You can go right down with Miss Tracy or head on back to your seat. So glad to have you guys here today. Now, if you take your Bibles, we're going to be able to turn in our Bibles to the uh, uh, portion of Scripture uh, that is going to be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And so if we could, uh, I want to lead us in our pastoral prayer right before that. Dear Lord Jesus, we love to see the young people. We love to see even our Coastal Fellow young people. We thank you that you are interested in people of all ages. That the generations are not just something that we created, it's something that you designed. And those who have lived all the way into their 90s can look back over their lives and they can remember a lot of things. They can remember what it was like when they were growing up at home. They can remember when they were teenagers. They can remember when they were in their early 20s trying to figure out what was going to happen in life. They can remember what it was like once they had their job and they tried to make an income and and, uh, what we tend to call join the rat race. Or they can remember what it's like to get a little bit older and to uh, not feel as well and to see some decline and start visiting doctors more often and having you start taking medications and recognize some limitations. Lord, when you've lived a long time, you can look back over life. But one thing, oh Lord, I pray that we'll never forget is that moment when you introduce yourself to us. And I pray that we will always be comfortable talking about Jesus. That we will always be, uh, even like Satoshi stood here and, and reminded us of how unique it is for a Japanese person to be speaking French in Canada. And for people to want to come and hear. Because, Lord, apart from Jesus, there are no words of eternal life. Apart from the, the Savior, there is no hope Apart from the message of the cross, we are yet in our sins and our faith is vain and there is no hope for a resurrection. Lord, we thank you for the gospel and I pray that it will be profoundly communicated. I pray that you will put it on our lips. May it be adorned by our lives. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord. Lord, there are also many things that burden our, our, our minds and our hearts. During Sunday school this morning, uh, we understood that there are some relatives that were just recently diagnosed with ALS. There are some that are regular attenders here who just were diagnosed with cancer this week. We realize that there are several things that have not even been mentioned. But people are struggling. They're trying to make sense of things. It may not be as overt as Anna and uh, and Zach were mentioning about a, a permanent job. But people are unhappy. People are distressed. People are frustrated is the word I've heard. I do pray that you will remove the frustrations. That you will lift us up. That you will give us relief from these anxieties and fears. For the Bible says when we cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We should make our requests made known to you. And our God is able to keep our hearts and minds to bring us a peace that passes earthly understanding. So, Lord, I now pray that you will bless the message that comes forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. 
This is an exciting passage. Um, some of you may not be as familiar with it. Most people would go right to chapter 9 because there's a more popular guy there in chapter 9. And his name is Saul. Saul's name is changed in chapter 9. That's when he's converted and he becomes the apostle Paul. That's all in chapter 9. It's just ahead. But when we're in chapter 8, a lot of folks go to chapter 8 and they skip the first section. They jump towards the end and they talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. And a lot of the reason we go there is because people feel very comfortable talking about baptism. They're saying, oh, that's the way they did it. They went down into the water and they came up. It's really interesting when you read it. But that's not the main focus of chapter 8, beginning there in verse 26 and following. What I would like to do today is is tell you the story that preceded. You see, Philip was the one that went to take care of that Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit of God said, that's what you need to do. But that was after this previous event, this event with a man named Simon. And this Simon is not the same one as Simon Peter, the apostle. Uh, This fellow is just Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer. And you can begin to understand Simon at verse 9 of chapter 8. But just to give you a quick, quick overview is that we have just seen in, in in the early chapters of the book of Acts, we find that Luke who was one of Paul's friends, a missionary. Uh, He joined the missionary team in Acts chapter 16. But when he writes this account, he's writing a history for us. And in the history, he says, hey, let me take you back when Jesus ascended up from the Mount of Olives. After that, we have an interesting, interesting dynamic that goes on. We find that, that Pentecost comes. People have been praying and the Holy Spirit comes down in power and lots of people come to know Christ. Over thousands are converted. And then in the end of chapter 4, we find that these new converts, they were happy. Doesn't that sound good? And now, that didn't last for that long. Because then we ran into three consecutive problems. And we find that in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And the problems seem to come in is once there was a couple of people in the church that were named Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, they wanted to be more popular than they were. And so they sold some property, and they brought it to the church, and they acted like they gave it all, and it was deceit and manipulative, and the only person who knew was God. And God said, you're not going to get away with it. Wow, that shook up everybody. Fear came over the church. The next chapter, in chapter uh, 6, we find that there was some neglect going on. That there were so many new people, the church was growing, and some of the leaders couldn't keep up with all of it. And some of the older folks, imagine that, needed additional help. And and to complicate the problems is there was some racism. There was some favoritism towards those who spoke the the main language down in Jerusalem rather than the Greek-speaking ones. So that conflict was dealt with. And then the next problem you, you came up with was the person Stephen. Stephen was dealing with the fact that uh, some of the folks that had gone to church regularly into the synagogues were frustrated because the priests weren't there anymore. They were following Jesus. And, and the synagogue people were trying to figure this out, and they were getting very angry. And so Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit, spoke up, and he gave a great message in chapter 7. And they all applauded him, didn't they? <laughs> that was the last sermon he ever preached. 
But the cool thing about Stephen is that he clearly communicated that this Jesus whom he knew had finished the work of atonement. And that, that's why we didn't need more priests. And Jesus stood up and welcomed them to heaven as he died there right outside of the gate of Jerusalem. That's where we left off last week. The stones that were thrown. Now, if you look at chapter 8, you can see at the beginning, Saul approved his execution. And there arose on the day, this is verse 1 of chapter 8, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens as we enter into our text today is that these weren't the best of times. The people were afraid to be Christians because if you were a Christian, you were likely going to get persecuted. You were You were insignificant. You were a tiny little speck. And they were ready to stomp on you. They just did it to Stephen. There's no no likely that you'll get a free pass. So some of the people are just picking up their stuff. They're getting out of town. And they're hoping that the the people persecuting won't bother them if they go up to, to, to Judea area or if they go further up into Samaria near the Jezreel Valley. So that's what's going on. Now, as we pick up the text today, we're going to find that Philip is the main character preaching because Stephen is no longer preaching. Philip is one of those guys who is full of the Holy Spirit and he ends up preaching. But if we look and pick up in verse 9, if you'll follow along with me in your text, it's found on page 1166 in your pew Bibles. I'd like to pick up verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. He had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip... And he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Then the people were baptized, both men and women. And verse 13 says, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, even Simon was amazed. Verse 14. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, the apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might also receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Wow. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, just like I all had in my hand, the shekels, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Verse 24. Simon answered, 
pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, the apostles returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you'll take the inerrant, inspired, infallible word that was just read, and I pray that you might work faith in us, for faith comes by hearing the truth, by hearing what our God wants us to hear. I pray that this Holy Spirit that was spoken of in the text would speak through, through the word today, strengthening us, equipping us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The issue today, not yet, not yet. Then I preach the sermon first. Uh, the message today is about the heart. And if you're, since we're not too far from the hospital, and a lot of you have probably been to the hospital, you know this analogy is pretty good. We're dealing with a heart condition. Today we're looking in, like a cardiac doctor would, we're going to look at a heart that is broken, a heart that is not right. So we're going to try to diagnose it. Okay, secondly, I want to be able to show you that when you diagnose a heart condition, then there's also a treatment for it. And the treatment that is given in the text is a little bit hard to swallow. It's a little bit hard. And then after that, we're going to go to the recovery room and we're going to try to see if this made any difference. And I'm hoping if you'll follow along with me and understand the text, what will happen is that you will be able to examine your own heart. And you'll be able to see if the treatment that was prescribed by the Apostle Peter is something that is relevant for people in the 21st century. So let's look at the text. As we unfold it, we're going to find that I wanted to start off by saying most of us, when we look at people, we don't get to look at their hearts. Today, if you go to the heart doctor, does he just stand on the outside and just look you over? Hmm, you look like you have a nice heart. Uh, you look like you have a big heart. Um, you have the heart of a Grinch. You know, three sizes, too small. You know, is that how they do it? Okay, today they try to get special gadgets. They put you through a tube machine. They'll try to look inside. Sometimes they'll put dye inside of you, and then they'll try to find out if it flows through your heart properly. I was just learning from one of the persons in our Bible study on Thursday about what AFib is and what VFib is and all that kind of stuff. Those of you that have pacemakers and those of you that have all that stuff, you know what we're talking about. Here's the point. The Apostle Peter is going to make a diagnosis and he doesn't have all that equipment. Because he's really not looking to see if your heart is pumping. He's looking at the, at the imagery of what the heart means. The heart is the place of passion in a person. It tells you what you love. If you go back to John Calvin, he used to say your heart is an idol factory. It keeps making things that you cherish, that you value, that you think are important. And in a sense, it can take anything, even a little coin and a little bit of money, and that can become something you passionately love. I was reading in, uh, in my book from Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods. He boils it down to there's four kinds of gods that you will prefer. And uh, two of them are for outgoing people and two of them for, for ingoing or, or for folks that are not so outgoing, introverts. He said, if you're an outgoing person, your gods are probably power over people or popularity with people. Think about that. 
If you're an outgoing person, you typically want to have control. You want power over folks. You want your will to be done. Or you're in the other camp of being like a cheerleader. You want people to notice you. You want people to say, oh, you're nice. You want people to pat you on the back. You want to be popular. Now, those are the two kinds of things that our hearts tend to gravitate to if you're outgoing. If you're an introvert, what happens is you don't really care about people. In fact, sometimes you wish they would leave you alone. Okay? And if you're an introvert, the things that you want is you either want control of your circumstances or you want comfort for your body. And one of the illustrations that Tim brings out in his, in his uh, masterpiece, he ends up saying, if you, you want control of your retirement, you want every detail to be in order, you want it to be administered well, you don't want any risk, you want to know how it's going to work out. Some people love that idol of having everything under control. And then there's the other kind, which I think a lot of people like during the summer. They just want to be comfortable and happy. Life's a beach. And so what happens is, is that they just want to do things that will make sure that they're comfortable. Okay, if it doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother me. We just coexist. You see, those are the four kinds of gods that our hearts are tending to make. Today, we're going to look at the heart. Back in 1 Samuel, you find that when Samuel was looking for a man after God's own heart, he came to Jesse's house because that's where the Holy Spirit led him to. And he went to Jesse's house and he looked at all these great boys. They were some awesome fellas. They were some strong ones. There were some tall ones. There were some medium ones. And when he went through all the fellas, they were frustrated. And Jesse and Samuel are like, well, is there another? Because we looked on the outward appearance, and these are the ones that we would have picked. And if you look at the text, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks inside. And it wasn't for Eliab and all the other brothers. It was the, only the little boy named David who didn't even come to the meeting. He was out in the fields keeping watch over his flocks. They called him in, and they said, this is a man who has a whole heart for God. It's pretty cool. How would God describe your heart? Whole heart, half heart, or no heart? When you think about it, this is part of the diagnosis that we're going to tackle in the text today. So when I look around in the spirit of the age, most people, they don't want to look at the heart. They don't even want to reveal what's in the heart. They like to keep all that part confidential. They don't want you to know anything about them. They want to back away. Brothers and sisters in the family of God... God knows your heart. He knows. Now, one of the ways to figure your heart is you could go to Jeremiah, which says that uh, your heart is deceitfully wicked. It's desperately wicked. Okay? Don't be deceived. Uh, As we we teach in in the Child Evangelist Fellowship, your heart has a sinful want-to. It keeps wanting to do its own thing, to do what's right in its own eyes. But... I'm trying to figure out how do we measure our heart? How do we diagnose it? The diagnosis that we see in our text today is really interesting. How we're looking at a guy named Simon. We're going to observe the symptoms on location. We're going to do the observable data. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to be able to take notice of the four things that we see in the text that help us to diagnose the condition of Simon's heart. First, in verse 9, we find there's pride in Simon. There's pride. 
He is a sorcerer, arrogant, and boastful. He's claiming to be what? Great. I don't know about any of you, but if you think of yourself as being pretty good or being great, Simon had no problem with this. This is a part of the diagnostics of his heart. Secondly, you can find the popularity of Simon. Because if you look at verses 10 and 11, you're going to find that there were a lot of people there in Samaria. A lot of people in Samaria who knew Simon. He was a cool guy because he was very popular. Because if you think about it, he didn't have control over people unless his magic worked really well. We don't know a lot about his type of magician stuff, but you can find more about it in two other places in the scriptures. That during this era, there were actually... Uh, amulets, and there was little, little tokens. There were a lot of different things. They did incantations. All the stuff that you would see in a Harry Potter movie, this is Simon. Now, that means they were connected to the demonic world too. Because people that do magic don't have power in themselves. We're just human. But there is a spiritual warfare going on. There is evil forces. Ephesians chapter 6 so Simon was comfortable in, these, in this realm where all the evil powers were. He could say that he was a master illusionist because he made people believe something that maybe wasn't. He might have distracted them so that he could get them to think this. But no matter how you cut it, he was an interesting character and people paid attention. He would tell their futures. He would do things that would make them think he was important to them. That's Simon. So we see his pride, and we also see his popularity. The next thing we find about Simon is his profession. In verses 12 through 13, if you have that in front of you, you're going to easily recognize that Simon is no dummy. He's watching this preacher guy come from Jerusalem. His name is Philip. Philip comes into the Samaritan area, to the Samaria region, and he starts talking about this guy who rose from the dead named Jesus. He talks about the kingdom of God and how cool the kingdom of God is, and And he notices something more. The people are listening to him. So if they're listening to Philip, what does that mean they're not doing? They're not listening to Simon anymore. So whatever Simon says, people say, who cares? So Simon ends up being pretty witty and pretty smart. And Simon says, I'm going to catch the wave. I'm going to get on board with this excitement. And so instead of getting angry and getting disappointed, he says, I'm going to join the bandwagon. And if you look at the text, it says that he believed and he even was baptized. Let me put it in modern vernacular. He joined the church. He joined the church. That was a cool church to be a part of because that's where the people were excited. That's where the people were not going to miss the service. They were going to show up. And Simon says, I'm going to show up too. So you see the profession of Simon is pretty exciting. And if you're Philip, you're, if you're standing there like I would be Philip and was like, wow, even Simon's coming on board? This is exciting what the Holy Spirit is doing. But as of yet, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if you look a little bit further, you're going to find that you have in verses 18 and 19, you have something a little bit more that helps us to diagnose Simon's heart. Let's read verses 18 and 19, if you will. If you look at verses 18 and 19. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. 
And this is how he did it. Give me this power too, so that anybody on whom I lay my hands, that they can get this experience too. Now, for those of you that are trying to do an observation of somebody's heart, this is revealing. This is almost like seeing if it beats. Does Simon love God? Does Simon trust Jesus? Does Simon show any signs of advancing the kingdom of God? See, what Simon is telling us is that he's, in, he's about the kingdom of Simon. He wants to be able to command the attention that he used to command. And he's seeing the latest and greatest thing is this Holy Spirit stuff where people are happy. You remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, tenderness, kindness. Imagine if all of us had those fruits of the Spirit. By the way, we do. But sometimes they don't hang low on the tree. But if you think about it, Simon is saying, man, if I could just have that. So if I could come and visit you and I could touch you, you would have this euphoria. Oh, I want that. He didn't even want the euphoria himself. He wanted the power. This revealed his heart. The diagnosis comes very quickly when the apostle Peter looks at this man and he says, your heart is not right. When was the last time you've ever heard somebody make a diagnosis of that? Your heart is not right. Pastor, they don't do that in 2016 anymore. That would be judgmental. You know, if Peter lived around, he'd have to have $2 million of insurance because somebody would surely sue him. How dare you say that your heart's not right? You see, why would we say your heart's not right today? No, everybody's heart is right, correct? Everybody's heart is right. You see, this is the problem. We're not doing diagnostics anymore. By your fruit ye shall know them. I'm going to end up preaching a sermon soon about judging and discerning and all those things so that you can know what the Word of God says. But in this particular case, you find the apostle himself. He looks at this man. He makes the diagnosis, and he's right. You have a heart problem. Because you don't love Jesus. You love something else. Now, the second thing you're going to find is, once he made this diagnosis that there's a real problem here, you're going to find that he gives a treatment. The treatment is fairly simple. It has two main imperatives. I'm going to call these two horse pills. He said, take these two pills and see me tomorrow. Now, if you're reading the text with me, it's verses 20 through 22. So let me read it for you. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part or lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. And here's the two treatments. Number one, repent. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of your heart. And number two, pray to the Lord that if it's even possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. The two pills to swallow are, he says, you need to repent and you need to pray. You need to repent and you need to pray. Now, the reason I call these big horse pills is because it's really hard to swallow and repent. 
You know what repentance is? It's turning around. Instead of doing the path that you're on, it's, it's saying, no, that's the wrong path. The right path was to go back. It's basically to see the idols that your heart has made up and throw them down and say, I'm not going to worship those idols anymore. I'm going to worship God and him alone. That's what he's saying to Simon. Simon, your heart is for this praise, this popularity, this power, for your comfort, for your control. He says, Simon, you need to repent. Again, I ask you in 2016, when was the last time somebody called for repentance? So they'll back up and say, we don't need repentance anymore. Remember one of the presidential candidates said he doesn't need to repent because he's right. Maybe, maybe the church doesn't need it anymore either. Maybe what Jesus said at the beginning when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. That was his very first sermon that he preached. Maybe that was just for then. You see, the whole idea of repentance as we learn in seminary as we try to teach the gospel, it's like breathing. It's awesome to breathe in a deep breath of oxygen, right? But it's also, it's also excellent to, to exhale what? The carbon dioxide that builds up. Because if you don't exhale, guess what happens? There's no more inhaling. The whole point about faith is that faith and repentance go hand in hand like breathing in and breathing out. If you're going to breathe in the truth, then you're going to exhale repentance. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to follow that anymore. Get rid of those things in my life that don't need to be there. Not my will, but thine be done. You see, that's one of the beautiful things about that pill to swallow. It's not so hard when you realize that this is God's bidding. You're only turning away from your own agenda and you're turning towards his. The second pill is the harder one for me to swallow. And that's because he says, pray to the Lord. If you have your text in front of you, pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. The struggle that I have here is the if possible if it's possible that God might even forgive and heal that heart. That's painful. But he says, pray for forgiveness. Pray for forgiveness. If there's somebody that can heal your broken heart, it's God. And the way that he forgives it, it's not by you paying, it's not by you performing, it's not by your eloquence, it's not by your attendance. It's by forgiveness. The cross is there not to just fill up the corner of the room. It's to remind us that forgiveness is possible because he paid the price for us. Now, those are the two pills to swallow. Now, let's go from the ER, which is that emergency room where, where right on the spot, Dr. The, the Apostle Peter is looking at him and says, you have a bad heart. We need to do this and this and this, stat. Now we go to the recovery room. And where, where do we find Simon. We find Simon not nearly as arrogant as he was. But Simon makes this one little request. Follow along with me, if you will, as we look at this, at this uh, evaluation. It's found, uh, it's found there in, in, in verse 24 and 25. It's a plea. He looks at Peter. like He looks at the doctor and he says... Please pray for me. 
pray for me. This is a sad place to be. Because Stephen had just preached the message that you don't need a mediator. You don't need the Apostle Peter to pray for you. He just said, pray to the Lord yourself. All sin is against who? It's against God directly. Psalm 51 is David with the man after God's own heart. When he sinned, he prayed directly to God and he says, it's against you and you only have I done the sin and done this evil in your sight. You see, the whole point is when we've done sin, when we're leaning on our own understanding, when we're doing what's right in our own eyes, it's because we're not doing what's right in God's eyes. And Simon just says, pray for me. Let's look at the text actually as he says it. His plea in verses 24 and 25. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I say that quietly. I don't think that he could have said this boastfully. What a, what a punch in the gut. This guy who has been so popular, this guy who is so cunning, this guy who is so smart, this guy who has a great big agenda, and he's very, very well known. He's catching the wave. He's not behind it. He's right on top of it. It's like a surfer coming in, you know, high on top, going to get right inside the, the crest. Everything is working great. And then Peter says, you don't get it. Was this guy a Christian or not? The Bible said he believed and was baptized. I want to be able to say that if he believes, then he was a Christian. But when I look at Peter's diagnostics, I believe that he was a church member, but not a Christian. Now, when I look at this guy and this fella is there and he doesn't even know how to talk to God himself. He says, just don't let that happen to me. I've done all of this with my life. I've even played with the sorcery. I've played with the magic. I've played with all these things. And I think that this God stuff is more significant and it's cooler but he doesn't know God. Do you? Do you? He never took the pills. He never repented. He never prayed for forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, this is a sad state of affairs for the church. But the apostle Peter wasn't frustrated. He just moved on because the gospel is being preached in other cities to other villages and other people are coming to faith. But Simon, with all the attention that he got, does not appear to have has had his heart healed. He's yet in his sin. He just wanted his comfort. I don't want to suffer like that. Please just pray that I don't have to suffer like that. I know it's quiet in the room. We're coming up on Memorial Day weekend. We've got the summer ahead of us. The sun is going to shine one of these days. What is your chief end? What is the reason that you're here? Is it for power? Is it for popularity? Is it for comfort and control? What is your reason? If you're, if you're a good Presbyterian, you'd say, my chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you're not so good a Presbyterian, then let me hear your other answer, <laughs> which is, I want to follow Jesus. Exactly what you said, to make disciples for Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
You see, when you make this application to your heart, it is a sad day to see Simon still in the recovery room and he's never going to recover. He's going to, it's a fatal problem. He's going to end up being under the wrath and curse of God for eternity. Unless you receive forgiveness, that's your lot too. How do you get forgiveness? Let's see. Let's pass the plate so you can give enough. Come on, you're supposed to be repulsed by that. It's not by the giving of money. You can't buy forgiveness. You can't pay for it. You would never have enough because what is the price that has to be paid? The wages of your sin is death, but the gift of God, the payment from God is eternal life through Jesus' atoning work. He paid, he redeemed us. Not with perishable things, but with a perfect life. Jesus paid it all so that we might have life eternal. This Friday, we had about 120 people in this room watching this movie, War Room. It was really interesting. A lot of those folks are not a part of our church family. Some of them are. An increasing number is. But one of the neat things about that movie was it challenged us to don't fight the way the world fights, but to pursue things on your knees. Talk to God. And it starts by pulling the beam out of your own eye before you pull the, pull the, pull the beam out of your own eye before you, before you pull the splinter out of your neighbors. Spend time in prayer that you will be right before God, that you will receive that forgiveness. Because just like with the Grinch story, and I'm not sure who I pointed to over there. I can't see hearts. But in the little story of the Grinch, Remember what happened when Cindy Lou Who ends up touching his heart and he ends up getting a heart that's three times bigger. He's such a joy. You see, if your heart is healthy, if you have a heart after God's own heart, the things that you're going to love this summer is not just a suntan. It's not just going to be a paycheck. It's not just going to be because you caught a great big fish or because somebody in your family didn't cause trouble. What's going to matter is if you make disciples, if you get to share the good news with somebody that needs to hear. And there's a lot of people who've never heard. And they're coming here. Satoshi, God bless you and your wife as you're heading north of the border. But a lot of people are heading to the coast. We are missionaries of this good news. Let's join in to be ambassadors for Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll take this message that is uh, an unusual story. It's a sad story. It's sad because there's a fatality. Lord, but it's good news for the rest of us if we can learn. It's not by our performance. It's not by our payments. It's not by our excellent speech. It's by receiving what you've already purchased. The applied blood of Jesus upon the doorposts of our hearts. For when God the Father, when you see the blood over us, you will pass over. And judgment will not come where judgment has already been. We thank you for this good news that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to communicate it. Help us to go forth from this place with rejoicing. Help us to go forth with beautiful feet, as it says in Romans 10. Because we bear the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Please stay.